Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So we're going to continue our series and taking a look at the book of Colossians. And how is it that we can build a presence-centered life? So what is it that I mean when I say a presence-centered life? A couple of weeks ago, we actually took a look at what it meant to live out a presence-centered life. I gave you some practical steps, so I want to encourage you to go back. If you missed that two weeks ago, go back and watch that because there were some practical steps how we can begin to live a presence-centered life. The goal for us is to not center on ourselves, but instead center on the God who created us. Last week, Pastor Morgan did an amazing job of talking to us about uh, if we're slipping or not. And so uh, our family was actually gone uh, that week uh, before last week. It was spring break, and uh, Warner was out. And uh, we had a trip planned two years ago that because of COVID, uh, we had to cancel. And so we had, had all, already had airline tickets bought two years ago. We had already had all of this planned out. And the week that we were supposed to go is when everything started shutting down. And so we're like, okay, well, we just held on to this. Uh, so we go out west, and one of the places that we actually went uh, was up in a mountain. And uh, my Florida girls, who have not seen this much snow, got to see snow. And so I came back, watched Pastor, uh, Pastor, worshiped with you all, watched Pastor Morgan's message, and said, boy, my girls were slipping while we were out west. But they were slipping around on snow. Uh, and it was awesome to watch and to hear what Pastor Morgan shared because I, I, I have Florida girls. Right? We don't have like snow boots. We don't have like snow suits. And so you see that they're only wearing like a nice little zip-up hoodie and they're wearing tennis shoes and Lucy's wearing are those Converse? Is that what? Yeah, those, she's wearing Converse. I'm not up on all the right terminology or any, you know, all that stuff. Um, I, I have two pairs of shoes and that's it. But anyway, she's wearing her, con- her Converse shoes and they were out there on this and they were really slipping around. But you know what's important that I gleaned from Pastor, Pastor Morgan's message last week? In order for us to live a present-centered life, you have to be fitted in the right stuff, right? Well, that's a part of why we gather together here on Sunday morning. So that we not only make sure that we're fitted so we're not slipping, but so we encourage one another to be outfitted, to be able to sustain what life throws at us so that we can actually live a present-centered life. But before we go further in this um, topic that we're going to be studying for the next several weeks and how to live a present-centered life, there's one question that's important that I think we have to resolve. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I wonder what it would be like to go around the room this morning, and we're not, but if we were to go around the room, I wonder what it would be like if we heard the answers from everybody on who Jesus actually is. Or or what if we actually went outside of these walls, and we went up and down the streets, or we stopped in Publix, or Walmart, or Target, or Outback, or Olive Garden, or wherever. We went just out in the public, and we just started asking people, who is Jesus? I wonder what those answers would actually be like. There's a guy that actually did this in South Florida just about a year ago. 
just went out on the street with a camera and a microphone, and he just started asking people, who is Jesus? And these are the results. opinion. Who is Jesus? See, now, see, now you won't start trouble. It's a myth created by man in order to control society. I don't, I don't consider Jesus my savior or my spiritual leader. He is a spiritual leader and right. one of the spiritual leaders I learned from. Who is Jesus in Who your opinion? Who was he? Who was Who he? Who was he? Was a man. He was a man. Okay. Absolutely. Your opinion. Jesus is, in my opinion, yeah. he's everything around here. He's spiritual, everything, earth, water, fire, everything. Jesus is all that's good, all the things that are positive and affirmative in life. Uh, that's Jesus. I believe he's a higher power in the form of a man. Everyone else walking around, there's not another Jesus. There's just one. So yeah, I believe he definitely did something. Oh. Yeah, uh, like on Jesus like, is not a person. He's not a person. Okay. Okay. So do you believe he was a man or just like some higher power or? No, I don't believe in. Don't believe he even no. existed. No. Okay. No. Jesus is um, our savior. Jesus is everything. He's the reason why we live. He's the reason why um, we get to do the things that we do in life. He's my heart and he's what I speak through my poetry, through my work, through my everyday life. That's Jesus. Who's Jesus? You need to know the answer to this question. And Paul is writing to a group of believers in a church, in an early church, that he's not been with them, but he's heard that there are a lot of people that are coming to them creating this concept of who Jesus is, but it's a false concept of who Jesus is. I want to tell you, and you know this, in our society today, I believe that there are more people that have a false understanding of who Jesus is than has a true understanding of who Jesus is. I'll tell you, I think that in the church Today, there are a lot of people who have a false understanding of who Jesus is than instead of who the Jesus of scriptures and the Messiah, the Savior that came to actually bond that relationship so that God could be with us. And what we'll look at today in the book of Colossians, we're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 1. What we're going to look at today is Paul saying to a church, listen, you need to know who Jesus is. This is very important and you have to get it. And if it was important just a couple of decades after Jesus ascended back to, the, to, to heaven, it's just equally as important today here in 2022. And so Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse, verse 10, this is Paul reminding about his prayer. He said, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We dove deep into these verses two weeks ago, and so go back and watch that, and then we'll continue on here today. I shared that because Paul is talking about his prayer and then transitions right into actually who Jesus is. In verse 13, 
For he, that's Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now catch these next several verses. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If you ever have wanted to see God, what Paul is saying is then you need to look at Jesus. So Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. So how is it that we can understand who Jesus is? Well, Paul is beginning to lay that out here. We have a record here in the New Testament of of an invisible God who was visible in the flesh. And there then we truly understand the concept that God came and wrapped himself in flesh to be with us so that he paid the, so that he could pay the price to constantly be with us so that listen we could live a present centered a him present centered life If we want to know how to live a present-centered life, then we must look at how Jesus lived a God-presence-centered life. In verse 16, well, I guess the end of 15, I'm sorry. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Listen. Paul has given us something that we could tear apart and talk about for months and months and months and months. But I want you to capture this this morning. Jesus is our opportunity to live a life not focused on self, but instead focused on who God is. A presence-centered life. And all around us, we see wrong interpretations of who God actually is. But if you look at verse 17, herein is a foundation that if you know nothing about Jesus or you feel as if you have lived a life confused about who Jesus is, verse 17 is a foundation and it's something that you can anchor to that will never allow you to waver in life. In verse 17... Talking about Jesus, Paul says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now remember, Paul is writing to encourage a group of believers that have had a lot of false interpretations of who Jesus is filter into their ranks. 
And Paul is saying, if you want to know Jesus, and if you want to live a life in relationship with him, then you have to know that it is in him all things hold together. Listen, Whitechapel Church, in a refuge of grace that I believe God has proclaimed in who we are to be, we must make certain that Christ is our foundation and He actually holds supreme. Amen? It's not our church. It's His church. He died for it. We don't have to die for it. We don't have to have the wisdom in order to figure things out. It's his wisdom because Paul reminds us that it is in him all things hold together. And in the church, Christ is supreme and reigns. So what what do I actually mean in this? In the church, nobody gets the trump card. I've heard our state pastor, Ken Love, say this a lot when we would be in some meetings or we're talking about different things. Ken says, and Pastor Gary has said this, nobody gets the Trump card. I'm not talking about past presidents, and I'm not talking about Donald Trump or anything. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the card that we would play that then say, I have got all of the answers. That card belongs to Jesus. And if in the church... He is supreme, and Paul says he is. And if in life, in him, all things hold together, and Paul says it does, then our job in the church is to make sure that we first listen to him. There is no human supreme leader over the church. There is nobody that gets to dictate to the church this, that, or the other. It is Christ that is the head, and it is Christ that paid the price in order to be able to have that job as the supreme leader of the church. For those of you, if you would remember what, your, um, what it was like on your wedding day, Whenever, gentlemen, we were standing at the front of the aisle and we were looking down the aisle, everyone who gathers together for a wedding, one of the things that, is, that there's this great anticipation is when the bride walks out and everybody gets to take a look at the bride. And then people will normally turn around and look at the groom and look at that excitement that the groom sees when for the first time, for the first time, He sees his bride all decked out, ready to be united with him in marriage. It's a beautiful moment, and it's my favorite part whenever I'm doing a wedding ceremony. When the groom, for the first time, sees his bride. Because up to that point, she's been a fiancé. They've just been fiancés. But now she's getting ready to walk the aisle and to be united to join together in marriage. And that groom is about ready to impart everything he has, including his last name. What a beautiful, beautiful moment. You know, I think that that really, really is what happened when Christ died on the cross. And the birth of the church was launched. 
And then as the Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost and the church was catapult forward and the Holy Spirit infilled the believers and they were able to share the gospel so that everybody understood exactly what was happening. And there in that moment, we see God now able to communicate the gospel on so many different levels because of what Christ did on the cross and because the Holy Spirit had actually arrived to empower the church. And there the bridegroom, Jesus, and and there the church move forward together and now we wait and, and now we wait in anticipation of the bride who has gone to prepare a place for us and is actually coming again to receive us so that where he is we also can be in John chapter 14 here we see in this moment though in a world of tension and in a world of trouble we have to actually make certain that we are living presence centered lives he's the head he's the head and if we were to as gruesome as this might be sever a head from a body then the body stops living and if we were to remove the head in him who all things hold together from the body which is the church the bride then we actually don't have a body we instead just have an organization. And Jesus didn't die for an organization. He died for his bride and his reminder for us that it is only in him that all things hold together. And so it is not our church. It is his church. It is not our strategy, and it is not our structure that we try to figure out. Instead, living a present-centered life, we ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to do? And how is it that you want to use us? And what, how, how do you want to use our resources? And how can we properly come in alignment with the head over this body? Again, there is no supreme leader in the church other than the head, and that is Jesus. And so what we have to do is be listening to the head. So you see, it's important for us to live a present-centered life. It's vital for us to live a present-centered life. Because just like in our individual lives, whenever we live lives not listening to the head, that's when we get in trouble. And you know what? None of us are perfect. There's no perfect church there's no perfect individuals none of us are perfect in any way and there are times that every one of us stop living a presence centered life on him and we start living a self-centered life and it's in these moments in our life and in the life of the church we have to say stop we're not going to do that anymore we're going to come in alignment with the head and we're going to first listen to the head and then and only then are we going to begin to operate in a refuge of grace that we are Whitechapel, we don't do church work. Instead, we let Jesus lead us in the work that first belongs to him. And so we're not all about trying to figure out, yes, we're going to do this, or we're, uh, no, we're not going to do that. We're not a church that tries to find the, the shiniest objects and say, ooh, that looks good. Instead, we are going to let Jesus lead us in the work that first actually belongs to him and then come in alignment underneath the head because it is in him all things hold together. And if we want to see the church held together, 
then we have to stop operating in our own desires and our own preferences and our own wants, and we have to start coming in alignment with the one who actually holds all things together. This week, as we were meeting, it was just an informal meeting in our staff, I said something to our staff, and I wish that you could have seen their eyes when I said it. I said, I don't like this, and their eyes got this big. And then I made a clarifying statement. And I said, this is a personal preference. It does not mean that this is the right or the wrong thing to do. I'm just telling you, this is my personal preference. And then was the, uh, the relief that actually came. It wasn't that dramatic. Uh, none of it was that dramatic. Um, but in preparing, uh, going back over my message this morning, the Lord reminded me of that. I just felt in that moment, it was important for me to say to our staff, I am willing to set aside my personal preference so that we can listen to Jesus and ask him, what is it that you want to do? You know, there are some times that we will do things that I don't like, and that's okay. That doesn't mean I pack up my marbles and I pack up my jacks and I go somewhere else where I can get my own way. You see, I want us to live out Colossians 1.17, that it is in him all things hold together. So you know, in a refuge of grace that is a presence-centered church, what we say is, God, I don't care what my preference is. I want to know what your preference is so that we can then do what you have asked us to do. You see, it's important that we actually grasp this. Several years ago, Melissa and I were privileged to be able to do a weekend retreat at the Cove, which is Billy Graham's retreat center that he set aside. A few times a year, they do retreats for pastors. It was an amazing weekend. We went up and we spent some time in the North Carolina mountains. And they have a lot of photos and a lot of memorabilia from Billy Graham's time in his decades of faithful ministry here on the earth. And one of the things that I took a photo of was this sign. Billy Graham said about all that he was doing, and he's, at this point, he's preached to millions and millions of people around the world. Millions of people have gotten saved and entered into a relationship with, him, with Christ. They're doing an amazing work around the globe, and this is what Billy Graham said about it. I'm just a spectator watching what God is doing. Now, that would seem crazy, except Billy Graham was living a present-centered life. And Billy Graham was leading an organization that knew what Paul was talking about in Colossians 1 when, he, when Paul says, it is in Jesus, in him, all things hold together. You see, Billy Graham understood that the only way, the only way for what he was doing to be successful was if he was just asking the head, what is it that you want to do? Now, the Lord has gifted us with individual gifts that he intends to use. And so we're not saying we're just going to step back and we're going to do absolutely nothing. Instead, what we are saying is, God, we want your preferences to be lived out, and we want only what you want to be done actually accomplished. So how is it that you want to use us, and what is it that you actually want to do? The church can only be victorious when the head is the head, and we are the body living out God's calling in the assignments that he actually has for us. That's the only way for us to be victorious. 
And so I get frustrated when I hear people saying, the church is not victorious. I get frustrated when I hear people, the church is hurting. I get frustrated when I hear people say, the church is this or the church is that. Listen, Jesus already declared it, the church is victorious. And we have to stop living little lives and start allowing the head to be the head and us be the body. Because the church is victorious because it is his church. And when the church is not victorious is when it's our church. And so what we have to do is take our hands off the church and say, you're the head, we're just the body. What do you want to do? And that's the only thing we're going to do. That's when the church is victorious. And that is when we live present-centered lives. And that's when we will see God advance on the enemy in the way that he wants to advance on the enemy. He is the head, and it is only in him all things hold together. That's in the church. And that's also in our own lives. It's not just in the church. It's in our lives. We can't just live present-centered lives in here for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings and then go about our own way. Because we are the body 24-7. We are the body constantly. We gather together in unison, in fellowship, to proclaim the greatness of of God, to encourage us, to make sure that we are clothed in the clothes that that we need so that we're not slipping. We gather together to proclaim the goodness of God, to encourage one another, and then we go to those people that don't know that He is the head. You see, we have to live present centered lives all the time. Not just when we are in here together. That's the way to living victorious lives. That's the way that we make certain that we are the people and the church that God desires for us to be. Let's take a look at verse 16. This is an amazing verse, and I love how Paul laid this. I mean, this passage of Scripture just blows me away every time that I read it. In verse 16, Paul says, For by him all things were created. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to ask you if you know what the Greek word all means there. It means all. The Greek word all? You didn't catch that it wasn't Greek, it was an English word. Uh, I'm not big in Greek. I'm not big in Hebrew. I thank God that Ashley's here. She's the one. I didn't know it was very when she was talking about that. Or Praise God. But this I do know. I do know when Paul says that by him all things were created, that means all. That means everything. That means nothing has been left out. Paul goes on, he says it's things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether, now don't miss this, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him. And don't miss this, and for him. Now, I want to be political for just a moment. So give me just a little bit of grace here. Either the Bible is true or the Bible is not true. And I believe the Bible is true. I believe what what has been given to us, that has been preserved for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. This is the word of God, and I believe it is absolutely truth. And I believe what Paul was writing to an early church that had some false teachings seep in is not a lot different than some of the false teachings that have seeped in the church today. And Paul says to us, Paul says to us that everything by him was created. 
And then he throws in this phrase that just sometimes knocks the feet out from under us. He says, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Now catch this. All things were created by him. And then the last part, for him. Now stick with me. Don't let me lose you here. I think that God has given us the government that we have in the United States of America right now. It's created by him, but don't list the last part, or you'll never get up if your feet have been knocked out from under you. And it was created for him. God has given us this country. God has given us the powers that are in power right now. God's given us the previous powers that were in power now. Here, let's take it down to this level. Just one block away is the seat of our city government here in South Daytona. I believe that God has chosen every single one of them. They, they, were, they were chosen by him and they were placed in power for him. I believe Joe Biden was chosen by God and was chosen for God. I believe that President Trump was chosen by God and was chosen for God. I believe that President, let's just keep going back and back and back. I believe it's senators. I believe that it's Mitch McConnell. I believe that it's Nancy Pelosi. I'll just go on and on and on and on. I don't care if it's red, blue, purple, green party, whatever the party is. The scripture is either true or the scripture is not true. And Paul says that our rulers and our powers were chosen by God and for God. But yet while we were out west, this was the price we paid on gas. $6.45. And I looked at Melissa and I said, do you know what we paid two years ago for gas? Oh, you talk about a heartbreak. I paid more for gas than I paid to rent a car. And it hurt. It hurt. But you know what? I have a God. I have a God who gave me the powers that are in existence. Whether you can say the government can, can affect gas prices or not, and whether there is a pipeline or there's not a pipeline, you see, none of that matters. Because we're not serving a country and we're not serving a political party. We're serving a God. And you think that these things were surprises to God? No. These things were created by him and for him. And so after I got my first tank of gas, later that evening, it hit me. This is no surprise to God. This is not a surprise to God. I have to live out a present-centered life. I have to live this out in my life knowing that this is not a surprise to God. And God knew that I would be paying $6.45 for gas. And if God knew that I was going to be paying $6.45 in gas, then God is going to provide for me so that I can pay $6.45 in gas, right? Yeah. We have to stop beating up flesh and blood and start asking God, what is it that you're doing in these moments? Now, this can seem trivial, and some of you are like, he's gone crazy, and he's trying to be political. I'm not being political. I'm saying that he's the head of the body, and politics has nothing to do with it, because it was politics and, and parties and powers and rulers and governments, they were created by him and for him, 
And we have to start living present-centered lives so that we can see how it was created for him. And instead of saying this was done to penalize us, we have to say this was created, whatever this might be, it was created for him so that we run to him instead of running to those around us to solve our problems. You see, Paul's word is 100% absolutely true, and we have to live this out, that all things, all things were created for him. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what if, what if, what if, what if this then became our mindset? God, I know that everything was made by you and for you. Everything. Just so you know, I don't like paying this much for gas, and I don't. I want to save money everywhere I can. And so you know what I've done? I have three apps on my phone. One, I won't go through them all. They help me save money on gas. Because I don't like paying this much for gas. And I only saved one cent per gallon when I, was out, when I was out west. I didn't like that. So I said to God, just so you know, I don't like paying this much for gas. But I know that you will provide because somehow this is for you. I don't know how. And you know what? I don't have to know how. I just have to live a present-centered life focused on Him. Because in a present-centered life, you live walking and listening first to Him instead of being defeated by the price of gas or the president or our senators or our government or whatever that is. That's the way that we can get down practically living a present-centered life. Because when you're living a present-centered life, there are no surprises to the one who created everything that was for the one that created everything and it was created for him there's no surprises to him the title in my bible says this is the supremacy of christ and he's either supreme or he's not supreme the question that we have to ask ourselves is who is the supreme leader in our lives is it me that's trying to figure everything out? Is it me? Is it me that's trying to come up with all the solutions? Or is it me living a present-centered life on him saying, God, I'm just going to sit with you, and I'm just going to listen, and I want to know how you guide me, and I want to know what my next steps are. You see, this is vital, and it has to get out of these walls and get down into not only our lives, but into our pocketbooks and into our family members, and then we've got to share it with all of those that are actually around us. There are no surprises to a God that is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So there's no surprises when your rent goes up or when your mortgage goes up. There's no surprises when you've got a leak in your water bill and your water bill is three times higher than it was last month. There's no surprises when the government is saying there's going to be some food shortages coming up in the future. There's no surprises when there are some supply chain disruptions and you go to Publix and you can't buy cream cheese anymore. You can't get this or that anymore. You see, there are no surprises because it is in him all things hold together. There are no surprises in relationships and in marriage. There are no surprises in any area of your life as long as you are living a life that is presence centered on him. We have to live walking 
with him. In Acts 17, the author tells us in verse 28, For it is in him we live and move and have our being. This is a present-centered life summed up completely in how we have to live. In him we live and move and have our being. Outside of him, it is absolutely nothing. It is nothing of a life separated from the head. This is essential. This is essential, church, for our view and our worship of Christ Jesus. This changes every area of our life. It's the supremacy of Christ in what Paul has written to us here in the book of Colossians that affirms that Jesus Christ is fully God and came in the flesh so that we would be able to be with him. He's not just a good moral teacher. He's not just somebody that came to show us a way. He's one that came to establish these, the way because he is God and he is over all because it is by him all things were created and they were created for him. All things exist for Christ and they exist to make his glory known here on the earth. Look at the power in this passage of scripture. In verse 14, Paul says, it's in him we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, especially the honored first only son over all creation. In verse 16, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead and in him everything exists. Verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. In verse 20, he reconciles all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, and he makes peace by the blood of the cross. This is the Savior that we serve, and this is the Savior that is the head of the body, and this is the Savior that has given us a great invitation to live a life centered first on him and who he is, a presence-centered life. He is the supreme leader. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of Kings. He is Messiah. And He's the one to die to pay the price so that you could be His child. This is the head of the body. This is who we have the honor of living a presence-centered life on Him above all things in our life. So this, this is what we have to reconcile of who Jesus is. And this is the invitation to every one of us. So how do we make this shift? If he's supreme, and all things were created by him and for him, and if this word is true, and it is, how do we make this shift? I think it's one word. I think it is one simple word, and that is surrender. Surrender. It's just putting your hands up, saying, God, I'm finished. I'm finished trying to figure out things in life. I'm finished trying to figure out how I pay for gas, how I pay for rising food costs or 
rent or mortgage. I'm, I'm finished trying to figure out my marriage or I'm finished trying to figure out relationships. I'm finished trying to come up with solutions. I'm finished trying to do this. I'm finished and I'm tired of doing all that. And instead, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live a present-centered life, listening to you so that you provide the solutions and then I just walk forward in that. It's that simple. Living a life of surrender is the first step in living a present-centered life on Him. And so this moment has to be a moment of surrender, not just for us in the church, but for every single one of us. It's a moment of surrender. And so that's what I want to ask you to do in this moment. It's easy for us, and I am probably the chiefest of the guilty in this. I like to figure things out. I like to come up with solutions. I like to provide. And so my default is getting ahead of God. And there are times that God has got to reel me in and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not living a present-centered life anymore. And it's in those moments that I have to surrender. And so this has to be a surrender, a moment of surrender right now for every single one of us. Because I think our reaction is to reach and solve And instead, this has to be a moment of reaching out and laying down in a life of surrender. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.